This is the ministry from Sovereign Grace Reformed Church in Tiverton, Devon, United Kingdom. I want to speak this morning on the story of a woman at a well. And in this story, in Luke chapter 4, we read of our Lord Jesus coming to a town called Sychar. This was a city in Samaria. And his only claim to fame was the fact that it was close to the plot of land that Jacob had given to Joseph many centuries before. And it was close, um, it was, on this spot also was the well, was a well. And Jesus, very tired from his journey, sat down by this well. And his disciples headed off to the town to buy um, some food. And it was 12 noon, the Jewish sixth hour. And it was blazing hot. The sun was beating down. And in the haze of the heat, Jesus saw in the distance a woman coming towards the well, uh, carrying her water pots to draw water. And the, the rest of the story is the conversation that took place between the Lord Jesus and this woman. In the previous chapter, we read of another very long conversation between Jesus and another individual called Nicodemus. And these two people, Nicodemus and this uh, Samaritan woman, stand in, in many ways in stark contrast to each other. Well, for one thing, Nicodemus is given a name. He's Nicodemus. We don't know the name of this Samaritan woman. One is a man and one is a woman. One is a Jew. Nicodemus is a Jew and the woman is a Samaritan. Nicodemus was a pillar of society. He was an intellectual giant of the Jewish world. But the woman was an outcast from an outcast nation. You can't get any lower than that. She was an immoral woman at the bottom of her society. The woman was despised and condemned by her own culture. No doubt the subject of much gossip from the other women. It's probably why she came to draw water in, in the middle of the day instead of early in the morning when the sun wasn't up. So that she wouldn't bump into any of the others. The point John is making in this gospel by contrasting these two figures, this Nicodemus and this unnamed woman, is that every type of person needs the Saviour. Those at the very top and those at the very bottom. And also that the gospel is offered to every type of person. It is a universal gospel. Not that everybody will be saved, but it is a universal gospel in that it is offered to the whole world. 
All are invited and every kind of person can come. Racial and ethnic barriers are broken down by this universal gospel. Jew Jew and Samaritan are joined together in Christ and they had a bitter ethnic hatred. Black and white people, people of every language group, from every class, from every category, from every division that mankind has invented are all destroyed and broken down in Jesus Christ and in the gospel of salvation. And from the king on his throne to the poor homeless person in the street, all of us, every single one of us, need a saviour, need this Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, there are big differences between Nicodemus and the woman at the well. He came at night to protect his reputation. She came at noon because she had no reputation. Nicodemus came seeking Jesus, but this woman was sought by Jesus. But both needed the gospel. The highest, as I say, in the land needed need Jesus and the lowest in the land need Jesus and I want to tell you today that you personally need Jesus to save you no matter who you are whether you're highborn or lowborn whether you're rich or poor or whatever distinction you place upon yourself you need the Lord Jesus Christ to be your saviour why because we are all sinners in the sight of God every single one And the great news of the gospel is recorded in verse 42 of this chapter. This is indeed the Christ, the saviour of the world. That is the grand message of the Christian church. The Lord Jesus Christ is the saviour of the world. That's a whole three year theology course in one sentence. That's That's all it boils down to at the end of the day. The Lord Jesus Christ is the saviour of the world. He wants to be your saviour too. To save you from the power sin has over your life. Sin has a power, a control over your life. You may not be conscious of it all the time, but it's your master. And he wants to save you from the penalty of your sin. Not just the power, but the penalty of your sin. Because your sin has incurred a penalty with God. And Christ saves people from their wretched heart and from their wretched record in heaven, in the court of heaven. In God's sight by nature, every single one of us, unless we are saved, are unclean and guilty before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to wash us from our sins, to break the power of sin in our lives and to restore us to God's favour. That's the gospel, dear friends. Although Nicodemus and this woman were very different, they had one thing in common. One thing in common. They both thought that they were okay with God. Nicodemus thought he was okay with God because of his intellectual and religious achievements. The Samaritan woman thought she was okay with God because of the religious traditions of the Samaritans. 
this is the kind of these are the kinds of things we say to ourselves aren't they we find some kind of self-deception which makes us think we'll be okay with God in the end we rely on our church tradition or our theological distinctives or our family heritage or some something external and we think that will get us through that will save us in the end but you know Jesus blew all that out the water didn't he with well with both of them but certainly with this woman the woman said she, she was relying on the fact that, uh, that our fathers worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. The woman says, our, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. But Jesus said, ye worship, ye know not what. Do you know, neither Nicodemus nor this woman understood the things of God at all. They were both blind. Um, without salvation, you see, we only have a natural mind, what the Bible calls the natural mind. And through our natural intellect, we cannot understand the revelation of the gospel. We can't grasp it. We may at some level understand it, but we can't really grasp it. That's why really intelligent People with degrees and doctorates just can't get the simple gospel because it's not revealed to them. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You see, this is evident in, this, in, the, in these stories. Jesus spoke to both Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman about the need of receiving new life from him. He spoke to Nicodemus about the need of being born again, the new birth. And Nicodemus took it literally, didn't understand Jesus. He said, how can a man be born when he is old? And when Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman about receiving living water, she, she immediately thought about the convenience that there would be of not having to, to carry heavy water jars and to have to travel to get water. She said, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Neither of them understood what Jesus said because their minds were still in its natural state. You know, that's one of the reasons that you, all of us, need a, this saviour. Because we are in the dark when it comes to God. We might be very bright and, in, and in educated in other areas. But when it comes to spiritual things we're in the dark. We're in ignorance. We need light in our minds. But we're incapable of grasping spiritual truth without the gospel. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You and I, dear friends, if we're not Christians, if we're not saved, we need a revelation of, of God from God. 
One thing Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman appear to have in common also is that they both had a deep sense, I think, of being lost souls. They both felt lost in this life. They had a sense of being desperately unhappy. They had a longing in their lives that would not go away. They may not have been able to articulate it in the way that we might, but they both had a spiritual hunger and a spiritual thirst. And we all have this sense of being lost without Christ in our lives. The trouble is we go to the wrong places, don't we, to try and fill that void in our lives, that emptiness in our lives. Nicodemus tried to find satisfaction in religion, but it didn't work for him. And in the end, he, he came to Jesus at night because he was desperate. He knew something was wrong deep in his soul. The despised Samaritan woman tried to satisfy the hunger in her life through multiple relationships with men. And lots of people do that today. But in the end, every relationship left her empty. You may see this in yourself if you look deep within. You try to fill your emptiness, your meaningless, with the things of this world, but they don't work. In the end, they leave you empty. Maybe your relationships, maybe your work, maybe your pleasures, it may be something more damaging than that. It may be alcohol or drugs. But at the root of, a, of the, your problem is that you are in a broken relationship, not with a man or with a woman, but you're in a broken relationship with God, your creator. The one who loves you the most. The Lord God who made you. He is the one who seeks you and wants to save you and to make you whole. And your relationship is busted, it's broken. And the message of the gospel is that there's a way for that relationship to be mended so that you can come back to God. St. Augustine wrote of this longing in the human heart. He said, Thou hast made us for thyself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee you see by nature we're lost we've lost our way with God we are by nature lost to God God didn't lose us we went away from him but we're lost nonetheless we have wandered far from God through our sin and now we're hopelessly lost and sometimes you can be so lost, uh, I don't know whether you've ever had that experience, you're on a moor or on the sea or in a mountain range, and, the, and you're so lost that the only thing that you can do is to wait to be rescued. Because the more you try to find your way home, the more lost you get. And we need, spiritually speaking, Someone else to look for us and find us and bring us home to safety. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ, the saviour of the world. 
That was the condition, spiritually speaking, of this woman. Do you know, the real truth about this meeting between Jesus and this woman was that it was no chance encounter, was it? Jesus said in verse 4 that he must, he must needs go through Samaria. But without boring you with the geography, there was no logistical reason at all why Jesus had to go through Samaria. In fact, um, Orthodox Jews took a longer route to avoid going through Samaria because of the hostility that there was between uh, the, the Jews and the Samaritans. So why did Jesus say he must go through Samaria? There's only one reason. It's because he had an appointment with this woman. She didn't know about it. It wasn't in her diary, but it was in the Lord's diary. You see, he came into the world to seek and to save the lost. And he came to seek and to save this lost, unnamed social outcast. Christ's mission statement was this, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. That was his mission. He was on not a seek and destroy mission, he was, a, he was on a seek and save mission. And this is, this is a wonderful thing. You see, you are lost if you don't know Jesus but the Lord Jesus Christ is looking for you. He's seeking you in order to save you. And you may, you may not realise it. But you might be finding all sorts of strange things going on in your life. Things that are going wrong. Circumstances which seem to align. Which you, could, you just can't explain. And really it's the Saviour looking for you. Seeking you. Because he wants to save you. Jesus wearied himself on a journey he didn't have to take to find this woman, to find her and save her, save her, lost as she was. She wasn't seeking him, but he was seeking her. And his whole life was given to seeking people like her. And people like you and I, but if we don't know Jesus, he's, he's seeking He's seeking you today. The fact is that Jesus was prepared to become tired and hot and thirsty to save this woman. That's an amazing thing in itself. We mustn't pass over it. The God of heaven, the second person of the Trinity, is sat on a well, hot and thirsty and sweating. And asking a human being for a drink. I mean it's enough to blow our minds. The Lord Jesus, John says, was the word. He was there at the beginning. Nothing was created without him, he says in his first chapter. But he then says the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And he took on a human body. And he became tired and thirsty for you and for me. He took on a body and a reasonable soul. And there he is, sitting on the edge of Jacob's well. The writer of the Hebrew says, For as much then 
As the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil. And Christ's thirst, which leads him to ask a woman of Samaria for a drink, foreshadows, doesn't it, that greater thirst that Jesus would experience on that dreadful day for him and a wonderful day for us. When upon the cross, Jesus knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Jesus was so prepared to seek and to save us that he went all the way to the cross and suffered a thirst and a suffering that we cannot imagine. That's how far Jesus was prepared to go to seek and to save you, to find you. He went all the way. He paid the price, the penalty for your sin that he could, you could never pay. You know, the irony of the situation with this woman is that although the Samaritan woman had the water, she, she, she had the jars of water. And that although Jesus said, give me a drink, it was really her that was truly thirsty. Jesus saw deep into her soul. He saw her thirst for true love, for true life, for decency and purity. She, she knew she was a sinner. He says in verse 10, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest, ask, wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Like I say, she didn't understand to begin with. She knew Jesus couldn't be talking about water from the well because Jesus didn't have any jars and the, the well was very deep. She probably thought that the Lord had found some stream of fresh water somewhere. But then, if Jesus had found some stream, then he, he would be greater than Father Jacob. So that can't be. But Jesus makes a promise of a new kind of water. Fresh water, a spring of fresh water. That's something very scarce. In the Middle East, a spring of fresh water. But this water is even more valuable than that. Jesus said, whoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Well, what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about salvation. He's talking about how the life of God can be in the soul of a man or a woman. In the scriptures, God is presented as the only one who can provide living water. The water that satisfies man's spiritual thirst. That's why I read Ezekiel. Water is the symbol of God's life, eternal life, that flows from God's presence into the life of his people. The river of life flowing from God's throne. 
the living water fountains promised for the redeemed in heaven in the book of Revelation. Isaiah the prophet spoke about the wells of salvation which God's people will be able to draw from. The Old Testament speaks of being thirsty for God. We read that when we started our service, didn't we? And how only living water can satisfy the soul. My soul thirsteth for the living God, said the psalmist. It was like, he says, a parched animal with the longings of a thirsty heart. Do you know, it's only God, it's only in the Lord Jesus Christ that our souls can find this water of life. And I want to ask, want to ask you today whether you have this thirst. Are you thirsty for salvation? Well, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy that thirst. Like this woman, most of us seek water elsewhere. I'm not talking about physical water. We try to re reproduce a counterfeit life. We seek spiritual life, spiritual water, but we do not find fresh water. We soon thirst again. Like our hymn said, none can satisfy, none but Christ can satisfy. Like the people in Jeremiah's day, we go to the wrong well for life. He said, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns that can hold no water. Dear friends, this woman, Jesus loved this woman so much. He sought her and he saved her and he travelled far to reach her. And he, he, he will do the same for you. He is doing the same for you. He sees your thirst and the emptiness of your life and he wants to put his life into your life. He wants to put this eternal salvation, this living water, right into the very depth of your life. Paul says it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's, that's the unique thing about being a Christian. God lives within us. It's an internal life. It's an internal religion, if you like. The woman says, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She didn't understand what kind of water Jesus was offering. But in a sense, Jesus, in a sense, Jesus was more thirsty to give her salvation than, than he was for that drink of water, for which no doubt he really longed. He had a great burden for her soul. He loved her. And this is all his work, to love and to seek and to save. And he's saving her soul. This is a record of Jesus saving a soul. In real, I was going to say real time, it's a real record of something that happened in real time. How does he save her? How he saves her is how you can be saved. How does he lead her to this living water? Well, first of all, he does something vital. He gives her a true revelation of the true condition of her soul. 
Before she could be saved, she needed to see her real condition before God. Before this woman would understand the salvation Jesus offered, she needed to understand why she needed it. In a way, she had to come face to face with herself. You see, Jesus said, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that thou sayest truly. Later on she said, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. You see, what's happening here is that Jesus is exposing to her not to others, because that's what other people do. The gossips do that. The, the people that like to condemn and judge, they do it to everyone else. But Jesus exposes this woman's sin, not to others, but to her. He shows her the sin in her heart, the need in her heart that led her to live such a life. Jesus saw deep into her heart. He saw all of her sins, all that she had ever done. He read her like a book and revealed the secrets of her, her, her own heart. And you know, that's something I want to explain to you today is that Jesus Christ sees everything in your life, in your heart. You cannot hide a single thing from him. Nothing in all creation is hid from his sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The Bible says, you know, your story and my story are different, but we have this in common. We're all sinners. We may be like Nicodemus. We might be the Nicodemus type. We may be the Samaritan woman type. There might be some other type of sinner, but we're all sinners outside of Christ. We're all guilty and needy before God. We say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us, John said. So let me ask you, I'm not asking you to answer this out loud, but what, what does God see in you today? When he's examining your heart as he is through his word, what does he see? What sin does he see? You see, the first step to salvation is to see yourself to come face to face with yourself not who you imagine you are or what other people say you are but what God sees you are our natural reaction to this exposure is, is to hide the Adam and Eve when they sinned their first reaction was to try and hide from God in the, in the, in the, in the shadows of the trees but God saw you can't escape from God, from his eyesight. His eyes are everywhere. We try, to we try to deceive God. It's hard to admit that we're a sinner. But this woman, this woman tries to fool Jesus, doesn't she? she? She tries to dodge the question by saying, I have no husband. Well, that was true. But she didn't know that Jesus knew she was living with a man, unmarried. 
But Jesus is seeking and saving this woman and he will not let her go. He will, he will speak the truth to her. He, he will impart the whole truth about her life to her. And secondly, Jesus saves her by kicking from under her feet her dependence on external religion. The woman concedes that she has spiritual needs but begins to argue about how they can be met, talking some rubbish about how our fathers um, worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. We worship in the right place. You Jews worship in the wrong place. Our rituals are sound and yours are not. She's relying on a form of worship. And Jesus sweeps it all away by explaining that a new era has come in when such matters are irrelevant. Location doesn't matter. doesn't matter where you, whether it's in Jerusalem or in Samaria, externals don't matter anymore because God seeks now worshippers who worship him in the Holy Spirit. Mountains will be leveled to a plain and race distinctions abolished. The age of the Holy Spirit will usher in and the life of God will be in all of his people and a well of water will be springing up unto everlasting life. And then thirdly and crucially he saves her by giving her a revelation of himself. He gives her a revelation of him, the saviour of the world. I know Messiah is coming, she says one day. She knew that Jesus was someone special already. She says, I perceive that you are a prophet, but she hadn't gone far enough. Jesus was more than a prophet. For the first time, actually, the Lord Jesus openly declares himself to be the Messiah. I that speak unto thee am he. Jesus is the promised saviour, the hope of the world. The Lord Jesus who saves. This woman received salvation. She left her water pots by the well and ran home to tell everyone she knew. Come see a man which told me all, thing, all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Well, it didn't take long for this uh, living water to start bubbling up, did it? She was alive for the first time. The outcast became the evangelist. And many Samaritans believed. This is indeed the saviour of the world. I wonder this morning whether you will, like this woman, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you will come to him and allow him to be your saviour and your Lord. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.